right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so great to see you this morning. Give me three weeks till Easter. What in the world? Fantastic. All right, get your Bibles out. We've been doing a series around here that we're calling Frequency, and we've been talking about when it comes to hearing the voice of God, that we need to put ourselves in a position to actually hear what he is speaking, because he is speaking, everybody. God is not mute. He didn't stop speaking 2,000 years ago. He continues to speak, and he has things he wants to speak to you. And to me, the question, though, that we've been asking ourselves is, are we tuned into the right frequency? Look at this in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. You follow along on the screens or in your handout. It says this, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. And so one of the chief characteristics of a son or a daughter of God is that you are being led by the Spirit of God. This isn't something that's just reserved for a few extraordinary or elite people like, like Jim and these professors that he talks about here. But this is something that God has for every one of us. If you're a child of God, then it's your birthright to be led by the Spirit of God. And if you're not being led by the Spirit of God, if you're not hearing his voice, then there's something wrong. There's something amiss. And so one of the reasons why I think a lot of us miss what God is doing is we have, we have these kind of preconceived ideas of how he leads and how he speaks. And yes, he can lead you through dreams. He can lead you through visions, and he can speak through these big booming voices, and he can speak through writing on the wall, and he could even speak using a donkey to try to communicate something for you. These are all ways that God has spoken in the past through Scripture, but it's important for you to know that these are more the exception than the rule. And so what we've been doing in this series the last couple of weeks is looking at some of the more common ways that God speaks to us and he leads us. And so the first one we looked at and how he leads us and speaks to us is through the inward witness. Romans 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you're taking notes, underline the words bears witness. Because that's what the inward witness is all about. The inward witness probably is the most common way that God will speak to you and lead you. But you need to remember when we talk about the inward witness, that the inward witness is a response in other words, there has to be an action, there has to be an idea, there has to be a plan that you're moving towards that the Holy Spirit will witness for or against. And so you get this peace on the inside as you take this step, that's the Holy Spirit witnessing for, yes, continue moving in that direction. Or you take a step and the Holy Spirit witnesses against that, a check, you have this troubling in your spirit, and he's telling you, no, don't go that direction, don't take that step. And that's the inward witness, that's what we'll be talking about, and that's probably the most common way that the Holy Spirit will lead you and he will speak to you. But then the second way that he leads us and speaks to us is through the inner voice. In John 10, verse 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And so the inner voice is when the Holy Spirit speaks something to your spirit. You hear it in your spirit, not with your physical ears, this is not an audible voice, but you hear it with your, with your spirit. Your spirit identifies with what God is speaking to you. Always remember that it's your spirit part of you that's made in God's image. It's your spirit that's connected to him. It's your spirit that's born again. It's your spirit that has the eternal life inside of you. And so your whole, the Holy Spirit will speak to your spirit, not your physical ears. And a lot of times that's why we miss it. Because a lot of times we just think it's our own thoughts. But it's actually the Holy Spirit speaking to your spirit. But when God speaks to us in the inner, within, at the inner voice, usually it just kind of comes out of the blue. It's not like you're seeking it or looking for it, but God just drops a thought. He drops an idea. 
he drops a, a plan or a picture in, inside, of, inside of you. And so it just kind of seems like it comes out of the blue, which is really important to understand because we shouldn't be seeking to hear voices. That's just going to get you in trouble. That's going to just lead you into deception because there's a lot of voices out there that are vying for your attention. So we're not supposed to seek voices. We're not supposed to pray for voices because when God speaks through the inner voice, He'll kind of do it as an interruption. He'll kind of just interject in the way you're going through. And so don't, don't try to seek it because that just kind of, kind of leave you into a, a little bit of a trouble there. That's the second way that he speaks to us. And the third way, this is what we're going to talk about this morning. The third way that God leads us and speaks to us is through the ability to see and to perceive his will. The ability to see and to perceive his will. And to me, this is probably the highest of the three common ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and leads us. And I'll explain that to it as we go through it here this morning. Look at this in Acts chapter 14. Here's an example of this. Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 7. It says, And then as they were preaching the gospel there, and in Lystra a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet, and he leaped and walked. And so let me try to explain what's going on here, because here the Apostle Paul, he was preaching about Jesus. And he was preaching about how God had anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how Jesus had gone about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And as the Apostle Paul was preaching about Jesus, this man was listening intently. And this is really important because Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so as the apostle Paul was preaching about Jesus, this man was listening and hearing what Paul was saying and faith was stirring inside of his heart. Now, let me give you the context of what was going on here because it's important for you to understand that there were no Christian churches in the city of Lystra. So there was no place that people could go to to hear about Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul, he was out on the streets preaching. Remember, at this time, there's not any radios or TVs or any sort of social media or newspapers to communicate. And so the way people communicated back then was there on the social streets there of that day. And so on this particular day, here was the Apostle Paul. He's preaching about Jesus there on the streets. And this man is listening intently and the Apostle Paul perceives that this man has faith to be healed. Now, what I want you to notice about this story, though, that if the Apostle Paul doesn't perceive correctly, then it's his neck that's on the line. This isn't really a safe spot. He's not in a church setting. He's out on the streets preaching. He's out there with people who are friendly, people who, who love him and are for him. As a matter of fact, if you continue to read this story, the, this crowd is so volatile. On one, on one hand, in one moment, they're ready to worship him because of what they see, and then the next moment, they're ready to stone him to death. That's how volatile this crowd is. And so if the Apostle Paul doesn't get this right, then it's his life that's on the line. It's not just a matter of people laughing at him, thinking, what, you know, what this crazy guy, he thinks you know, so this guy can be healed and be able to stand up from his paralysis. It's not that he's with a loving grouping of people. These people are volatile, and so this is a matter of life and death. And so if the Apostle Paul doesn't get this right, this is going to be a very tumultuous situation. With the Apostle Paul, he has this confidence because God put in him the ability to see and to perceive 
what was going on. And so just by looking at this man, the Apostle Paul was able to see and perceive that this man had faith to be healed. And this was a knowledge insight into something that you and I would never be able to see just in the natural. The Holy Spirit gave this to the Apostle Paul there in that moment. The ability to see and to perceive is the ability to be able to see into a nature of the thing and understand it. That's what this ability is. It's the ability to see into the nature of a thing and to understand it. When I was in eighth grade, I think that's probably the first time I remember experiencing this. It could have happened before that, but that's my first time I remember. I have an older sister who's five years older than me, and the summer after her junior year, she was looking at all the universities and colleges. She was trying to make a decision of where she wanted to go, and so our family, we lived in Colorado, and so my parents took all of us to all the different universities and colleges that she was interested in, so we went to several in Colorado and Nebraska, Kansas, and also into Oklahoma. And so we took several weeks just kind of traveling the circuit looking at these different universities. But something strange happened when we went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. As an eighth grader, when I stepped onto that campus, something happened to me. God dropped inside of my heart as an eighth grade boy going into eighth grade that this is where I was going to go to school. I wasn't even thinking about it. Eighth grade, you don't think about going to school, going to university when you're in eighth grade. But God just dropped the ability for me to be able to see and to perceive that this is where I would be. Now, you need to understand that as I got closer to the time for me to go to school, to the university, that even though I had this knowing, I still felt the pressure and the peer pressure to go to other universities. I was the valedictorian of my, my class, and I had all these expectations of where I was supposed to go. And so that's what I did. I went and applied to all these different universities, spent all this other money, put in applications to all, the, all these different universities, all the while knowing I wasn't going to go there. I still knew in my heart where I was going to go. I just played the stupid game that I didn't need to and wasted a lot of my parents' money in the process. But I want you to see that that's what the ability to see and to perceive. It's not an issue of age. I was eighth grade when God dropped this inside of my heart. Now look over this in Acts chapter 27, because here's another example when the Apostle Paul was able to see and to perceive the will of God. But now this time, he's a prisoner. <laughs> he had been preaching in the temple, and the Jewish leaders were mad at him, and they arrested him with the intent to kill him. The Roman soldiers intervene, actually, in his life, and they take him off and put him in their jails. But when it's time for them to go ahead and release Paul, because Paul was innocent, he wasn't guilty there, by the time we wanted to, going to release him, Paul knew that he was going to be released, that the Jewish leaders would still kill him. So he did something crazy. He appeals to the higher courts. He appeals to Caesar, knowing then that he would leave that area and be taken then to Rome out of trouble. And so that's what happens. He gets put onto a, uh, this boat with other prisoners, and they set sail towards Rome. But in this trip, they encounter a bunch of difficult weather, and so they end up sheltering in Crete. Look at this in verse 9. It says, Now, when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And so here the apostle Paul was saying, hey guys, I perceive this is going to be a really difficult journey. 
I see that things are going to happen. This is not going to end well for us. We need to stay here. But they wouldn't listen to him, and so they set off sail towards Rome again. And so they get into this trip, and sure enough, they get caught into this storm. And being a sailboat, they get stuck in this storm for 14 days. Now think about this. For 14 days, they cannot see sun or moon. For 14 days, they have no idea where they are. For 14 days, waves are crashing in on this ship. For 14 days, they are so terrified that not one of them will eat. That's how dire the situation was. And then the Apostle Paul spoke, verse 22, And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. And so there was 270 men, who, 275 men who were on this boat. And the angel spoke to the Apostle Paul that his life would be spared as well as all the other men, but the ship would be destroyed. And so he communicates that then to the leadership. A little later on, a bunch of men, they're so terrified, they try to escape by using one of the lifeboats. But Paul tells the centurion and says, hey, listen, if these guys leave, then their, their lives are going to be destroyed, that they're going to die. The Apostle Paul could see and perceive that what was happening here, the reason why this, this protection was, was on them, had, all, had everything to do with his presence. And so if the men would stick around him, then they would be a part of God's protection. Well, this time the centurion listens to Paul, shockingly enough. And so he cuts the ropes to the lifeboats, and the lifeboats get sailed away. So now they're just stuck on this boat. Verse 41. But striking the place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump aboard first and get to land. The rest, some of them on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to the land. And so everybody made it. Everybody survived this. The thing I want you to see about this is the Apostle Paul was able to see and to perceive into the future. He was able to see things that you wouldn't be able to notice in your, just in the natural thing. And this, these are ways that the Holy Spirit wants to lead you and he wants to lead me. When I graduated from college, many of you know that I went off and I was an associate pastor in Germany outside of a town, um, outside of Nuremberg. And I was there for several years. And it was right after the wall, the Iron Curtain had come down. And so there's so much going on in Europe and in Eastern Europe and and I could spend the rest of the day just telling you story after story, miracle after miracle of what God was doing and what I experienced just personally during that time. But one of the things that began to shift inside of me as a young 20-something-year-old is that even though I was experiencing these incredible things, I was experiencing it alone. And so inside of me began to have this desire to be married, to be able to share these incredible experiences that I was going through 
with my partner, with my wife. And so I began just to pray for that to take place. But I didn't have any girlfriend at the time. I was over in Europe all by myself. But one of the times I came back to the States, it was a Christmas break, Courtney and I's paths crossed again. We had known each other in college. We both went to the same university, and we actually had worked together. But there wasn't really anything there during that time. We never dated. We never even thought about dating during that time. But when I was back uh, in the States for just a couple weeks, our paths crossed again. And one of our good friends, mutual good friends, decided to play Cupid and to try to matchmake our lives together. And so long story short is we started writing back and forth in a very plutonic sort of way without any sort of feelings, just kind of describing what was going on in our lives. And this went on for about eight months until I ended up flying back to the United States for what I thought was only going to be six weeks before I was going to go ahead and move permanently over to Poland. And so I came here and um, flew into Denver, Denver International Airport. My mom picked me up from there, and it was about a three-hour drive to where they lived. And on the drive, about an hour into the drive, my mom starts having this conversation about, okay, well, what's these next six weeks going to look like for you? And I began to describe... I kind of, it was all kind of planned out, going to these different churches, these different people, and, and, um, and what that was going to be it was kind of a busy schedule for six weeks, which goes, well, when, when are you going to see Courtney? She knew I had been writing her, and she said, when are you going to see Courtney? I said, well, not until the fourth week while I'd be back in Colorado Springs to see her. And she said, oh, no, that's not going to work. And I said, well, wh- why? Well, what's, what, what is wrong with that? So she said, well, I've been praying that you're not going to go back to Poland by yourself. And she goes, so, so, so I said, well, how, how is that going to be? And she goes, <laughs> and she goes well, it, this would be really difficult on me if one of my girls were to do this, but I think we could put a wedding together in six weeks. <laughs> now, you need to understand there was nothing really going on. We hadn't had a relationship conversation at all. I had no idea what she was thinking about this. And so my mom says, well, we need to make sure she comes down here at the beginning of your six weeks. Why don't you call her, and we'll do an end-of-the-summer barbecue <laughs> and invite her to come down so you can spend the weekend with her. So, well, we end up doing that. She came down, and and a part of the, the story is, is the rest of the story is that it's, um, we have finally had our big relationship conversation. Ends up, I don't go back to Poland, um, but after six weeks, we do get engaged, and five months later, we are married. I don't know to clap. I don't know if you don't want to clap or be afraid of that story. My point is, God gave my mother the ability to see and to perceive something that was completely illogical. If you knew my mom, she's very straight-laced, and this was completely outside of her character and personality to say something like this. I mean, absurd. You know, you could get married in six weeks. Really? Really? She didn't, have, she didn't even know who Courtney was, didn't know any of this, but God just dropped it in her heart. And what I want you to see is that when God puts this ability to see and perceive inside of your heart, not only will you see it, but you'll have this confidence that comes alongside of it. Jesus talked about this when he described to his disciples how the Holy Spirit will work in their lives. Look at this in John 16, verse 13. It says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. If you're taking notes, underline that last phrase, he will tell you things to come. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to show you 
things that are on the rise. Now, when Jesus was talking about this to his disciples, he wasn't just talking about book of Revelation stuff. He wasn't just talking about the tribulation that's coming. He's not just talking about tragedies and catastrophes that are to come. A lot of people think that's what that is referring to, that he's referring to there's bad things yet to come. (laughs) But how many of you know that there's not just bad things that are to come? There's a lot of good that's still to come. And and what the, when the Bible is describing here, that the Holy Spirit will tell you things to come, what the Holy Spirit wants to do, he wants to unfold for you the next step for your life. Now, how many of you want to know the next step for your life? That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit wants to show you the next steps for your life. He wants to show you the direction that God has for your life. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, it says, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. See, one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit working inside of us is so that we can know what it is that we have and what it is that we're supposed to pursue. Listen, folks, this is really important for you and I to understand because there are a lot of opportunities out there. And I hate to burst your your bubble here, but you can't do all of them. You can't do all of them. That's why we need to know what it is that we're supposed to do and what it is that we're supposed to do to pursue because one of the devil's greatest tricks is to get you restless running from this thing to that thing to this thing to that thing. But what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you are the things that you're supposed to pursue and the things that you're not supposed to pursue. The things that God has prepared for you, freely given to you, the things that that God wants you to pursue and how he wants you to invest your life. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you. And that's what seeing and perceiving the will of God is all about. When I was pastoring up in Wisconsin, um, we, after a couple years, um, the church had grown to a point where we had outgrown our facility and our, and our building, and we had, were trying to add on to it, but there wasn't enough property, and the, and the landowners beside all the property were unwilling to sell, and so we were kind of stuck. So we knew we were going to have to sell our property in order to be able to grow any further. And so we put the building and the property on the market, and it was on the market for a year without any nibbles or bites, none whatsoever. And so we took it off the market thinking, what are we supposed to do? Well, I was convinced, God dropped this in my heart, that this is what we're supposed to do. And so I said, we're going to take a step of faith, folks. I know it doesn't make sense, but I believe this is what God would have us to do, that we need to take a step of faith. And even though our building hasn't sold and there is not any options in regards to that, we're going to stop meeting at the existing church that's paid off, and we're going to start meeting in the high school downtown which has a bigger auditorium. It didn't make any sense in the natural. Why would you do such a thing? But we had outgrown the facility, and so we took this big step of faith and started meeting in the high school. One week later, we had two offers on the building. Okay, I didn't hear any response. (laughs) None for an entire year. Nothing moving whatsoever. We take it off the market. We take a step of faith, do something that seemed crazy. One week later, we had two offers that came out of nowhere for the, for the building and the property. In this process, we still didn't have any property. We had no idea. Nobody was willing to sell to us. It was like it was locked up, and we began to pray. And as we prayed, God dropped something else in my heart, that somebody would donate land for us. And as we began to look, 
it began, things began to shake up, and this owner was said, okay, I'll, I'll sell you this property. This owner said, I'll sell you this property. But I kept, I knew, I, I just had this knowing that somebody was going to give us property. So I kept saying, no, nah, that's not right. Not, this looks good. This looks good, but I know this is not right. So eventually, and this, is only, this only takes about a couple months in this process, eventually somebody approaches us who's not a part of the church, not even a Christian, and says, I have property that I'm willing to give you. Would the church like to be here? And I, just, I knew it. I already knew it because God had dropped this ability to see and to perceive something that I could never have known just in the natural. That's what I'm talking about, folks. I want you to see how Apostle Paul prayed for us to have this. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 1. Because the Apostle Paul is praying for the church, the believers in Ephesus, and he's praying that they would actually have this ability to see and to perceive the will of God. That's what he's asking for. Verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now look what the Apostle Paul's praying here. Because this is a prayer that you and I, that we need to embrace, and we need to pray over ourselves, because he was praying for the believers to be able to see into spiritual realities. That's what he's praying for. He's praying that they would have this keenness in spirit so that they, they wouldn't just have direction occasionally, but they'd be so keen and so sensitive in their spirit that they would be able to use this in every application of their lives. That's what he was praying for. He was praying that they would have the spiritual edge. And so if you're having a hard time understanding the Bible, pray this prayer. If you're having a hard time understanding what it is that God has for your life, pray this prayer. If you're having a hard time understanding what you're supposed to do next, pray this prayer. Forget the prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Forget that prayer. That's not a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. This one is. Remember this prayer. Write down this prayer and begin to pray this prayer for yourself. God, would you give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I can know you better? Give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation so I can know what it is that I'm supposed to pursue. Give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation so I know what it is that you have for me. These incredible things that you prepared for me. God, I need your spirit of wisdom and revelation. And here's the thing. As you begin to pray this prayer, you're going to be able to start seeing things that you hadn't seen before. All of a sudden, you'll start to be able to see into your relationships and what's going on in those relationships. All of a sudden, you'll begin to see things in the business arena that you're working in, things that you didn't know how to do before, that you weren't even trained, and now you'll have insight and strategy of how to do it. You'll begin to see what decisions that you're supposed to make. God will begin to open your eyes, and you'll be able to know exactly what it is that you're supposed to do. Take this prayer and begin to stir it in your heart. And this is the, the reason why this ability to see and perceive really is the highest form of leading is because if somebody comes to me and, and offers me this big business deal, if I get a check in my spirit where the Holy Spirit is witnessing against moving forward in that plan, that's the leading of the inward witness of God. And it's fantastic because we need those checks. We need that troubling in our spirit that says, no, don't go forward in that. But here's the thing. If you receive the ability to see and to perceive, not only will you then be able to know that you're not supposed to pursue that business deal, now you'll understand why 
you're not supposed to pursue that business deal. That's why the ability to see and perceive is a higher form of, of leading because there's more revelation attached to it. And what I want to do as your pastors, I want to stir this in your heart and your life, this ability to see and to perceive, because God wants to give you that ability. That's how he wants to lead you, and that's how he wants to guide you, and that's how he wants to speak into your life and what's going on in your, in your sphere of influence. When I moved to Wisconsin, I knew uh, that where I was heading was a spiritually dark, dark area. But I didn't realize how dark it was until about a year after I had been there. I prayed it, and I knew that this is where God was seeing me. But once you get into it, you just kind of forget where you are. You know, you get busy with all of that. But I was in a ministerial association meeting, and in walks this woman by the name of Pernell Hewing. She, at that time, was a, about 70-year-old African-American woman. She walks into this ministerial association meeting. I didn't know her. All I knew was that there was something there. I didn't know from Adam, I didn't know what was going on, but I felt this kindredness of spirit that I, I hadn't felt, actually, um, at being there for the last year that I was there. And so during the lunchtime that we had after the meeting of all these pastors and stuff, and um, I wiggled my way so I could sit right beside her to try to figure out who this woman was. And I wanted to hear who she was. Well, in that conversation, she ends up inviting me over to her place, and she had a place on Main Street called The Sanctuary. And it was a big, huge place that was right in the rows of all the sororities and fraternities that were across the street from the university. And I'd always driven by and wondered, I wonder what the sanctuary is. But every time I'd ask the question, people in the town would say, oh, that's a weird place. That's a strange place. That's occultic type things and new age type things happen in that place. And so that's all that I knew about. So when she said she was part of the sanctuary, I thought, uh-oh, what have I got myself into? But I agreed I would come over to their place, and thankfully, one of my friends was in town the week then she invited me over. I said, you're going to come with me. I don't know what I'm getting myself into. You're going to come with me. And so we went in, and, and uh, um, she took us to a, a, just part of the place. It's, it's actually a prayer and fasting retreat center, and, and she took to one of the rooms, and she doesn't, does, she doesn't do any small talk. I guess when you're 70 years old, you just don't have to, time to do small talk. And so she immediately started praying. But here's the thing. After a year of being there, this was the first time that I felt an open heaven. She had beat a path to heaven on, on her knees, praying through the darkness that was there. And I didn't realize how dark it was until I, I sat there in there and realized how open heaven was. We began to meet, and we met... And for the next 14 years that, that I was there, she's in her mid-80s now. But here's the thing that happened. When we would get together, and it was so hard and so difficult at the beginning because we would get together, and I've never heard anybody pray like she prays. I've never been any, around anybody that could stir up spiritual things like she could. But as, when we would pray, and I, I started bringing my staff, and we would do this once a month, but as we'd pray, we'd be just in a group, and, and we'd be praying, and then she would stop praying, and she said, um, Petra, God's speaking something. What, what, what did he just tell you? And she would, she would point her finger at me and say, Russ, God's speaking something. What, what did he just say? And I'm thinking, hmm, I don't have anything. <laughs> Got nothing here. Um, let's keep going. Let's keep praying. Let's doing something. But what, what happened is she began to, to stir and to pull on this ability to see and to perceive what it is that God is doing. And let me just say, that's what you and that's what I need. You need to have people around you that will pull on your ability to see and to perceive what God is doing. Because here's the thing. You can go through life completely oblivious to what God is doing. 
completely unaware of him speaking. And so she began just to pull and tug on my heart within that. And over the next 14 years, I'm going to tell you, the incredible things that God said and spoke and revealed during those times were the things that opened up the territory for us. The church grew as a result of strategic things that God spoke during those times. It enabled us to not just grow as one congregation, we ended up planting three more congregations. All because of the strategy that God would reveal during those times when he, when he would just begin to pull this ability to see and to perceive. This is what I'm telling you about, folks. This is what God wants to do in you, and this is the thing that's waiting for you. So I want you to think about this, because what would it look like for you to get together with some other businessmen and women and to begin to pray and disturb this ability to see and to perceive what God has for your business situations? What would that look like to hear the strategies that God has for your business and not just operate in the natural for what you've always done? What would it look like for those of you who are teachers to gather together with other teachers to pray and to stir this whole ability to see and to perceive what it is that God has for your classroom and for your students so that you teach differently, that your strategy becomes different? What would it look like for you medical profession people to gather together and to pray and to stir this ability to see and to perceive so not only do you bring them the natural things of medicine that God has blessed with, but how to minister to the, the patients and the clients that God brings across your path? What would it look like for you parents to gather together and pray together over your kids and ask for this ability to see and to perceive as pertaining to your children and what's happening in your children's lives? I want to stir this inside of you because this is when life becomes exciting. Because this is how things move forward. And what I've learned just as a pastor is that I can go to all sorts of church expansion and church growth seminars my whole days. But nothing will happen if I don't have the strategy of God. I spent 14 years in a spiritually dark, dark area where churches were crumbling and dying away and church plants were not thriving at all. In the midst of it, our church grew from 100 people to 1,200 people with five different campuses. Let me tell you, that only happens because God gives you strategy. He gives you insight into the things that you can't do by yourself. And that's what he wants to do for you, every one of you. We're going to take communion here in just a little bit, but I want to lead you here in praying because I want to just kind of stir this up inside of you. So I want to just ask you to close your eyes, if you would, please. Just put your papers down, your Bibles down, and, and I want you just to kind of let this begin to soak inside of your heart. And maybe God's already speaking to you some things, but I want you just to kind of pray and declare some things out loud here together. So I want you to just pray this out loud. Pray this after me. Say, God, I want to be. Say it out loud. God, I want to be a part of your reality. I want to be a part of this adventure that you have for my life. And so I ask that you would give me the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation so that I will know you better. I ask that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened in order that I may know the hope to which you have called me, that I might know the riches of the glorious inheritance that you have for me, and that I might know your incomparably great power that you have for me. And I ask 
that you would give me eyes to not just see, but to perceive your reality. And I ask that you would give me ears to not just hear, but to understand what you're doing. So Father, I thank you for taking over my life and involving me in your reality. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the Bible describes for us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant that's poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. This is a covenant celebration that we get to experience. And the incredible thing about a covenant is that when a covenant is formed, that all the assets and all the liabilities of the two partners come together. We have a lot of liabilities that God takes over. But let me suggest to you, woe the assets that God brings to the table. Think of all the assets that God brings to the table in this covenant that he wants to form with you and with me. And when we say yes, which this is a question, I always remember that this is a question. The table represents a question. Jesus, I've given you my life. Will you give me your life? This is the covenant I've established for you. Will you enter this covenant? When we take communion, we're saying yes. <laughs> I want to give my life. And yes, I want to be a part of this covenant. When we take that, then we get to be part of this. And now all these assets that God has, we get to be beneficiaries of it. That's the glorious inheritance that the Apostle Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 1. We need to have the spirit of revelation and wisdom to know all those assets that God brings to the table that are now yours. And so here at One Chapel, we celebrate one open communion, which means this. You don't have to be a member here at this church to participate. This is a table that's set by Jesus, not by any church or any denomination. But I want to encourage you, if you've never made that decision to give Jesus your life, you can do that right here, right now. Because that's where the adventure becomes. That's where it starts. You can't start this without giving over control of your life to him. You got to give him the steering wheel of your life. And the Bible describes that if we'll just confess that Jesus was raised from the dead and believe that God, God that, he, that if I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe that God raised him from the dead, that I will be saved. That all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all you need to do. It's as simple as that. Give your life to him. Let him have control over your life. And so that's what we're going to do here. There's a section, there's a, a table set in front of each of the sections here. And so we're going to start from the front row and go to the back row. And the front row will start. You'll exit on your left and circle around and take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. And just take it back to your chair. And then right there, right here in this moment, you make some decisions. You let go of control of your life and ask Jesus to take control over your life. Let's do this here together. So Father, I... I just pray for every one of us here that the fear, the worries, those things that tend to keep us from running to you, God, that those things would be stripped off our lives right now in Jesus' name. Because God, you, you're the one 
who came and rescued us. You're the one who takes the steps toward us. You're the one who's faithful even when we're faithless. And so God, I'm grateful that you don't treat us the way we deserve, but you love us unconditionally. And so Father, I pray for every one of us as we go through this week, Lord, I pray that groups of men and women would gather together to stir each other up, to be able to listen to what you are saying. That God, that we wouldn't just be content of going through life as usual, but Lord, there would become a hunger and a stirring inside us to be able to hear what it is that you're saying. That God, that we would be people who, who live our lives following your direction. And Lord, I pray for that hunger to stir inside of every one of our hearts. And so Lord, show us even this week Show us something. Open our eyes so we can see it. Open our ears to hear it. God, as we continue to pray that your spirit of wisdom and revelation would work mightily inside of us. God, I pray for the reality of that to show itself true in every person here in this room today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's going to be people up front here that are here to pray with you. If there's things going on in your life that you would like somebody to just agree with you, maybe whatever it is, if you're, you're facing situations, you just don't know what you're supposed to do, you're facing an opportunity, maybe you're going through a difficulty, you just don't want to know what you're supposed to do, I want you to know that these people up here, number one, they love you, they're here for you. And so don't go away here this morning without having somebody pray for you if there's things going on in your life. They'll just stick around here, they'll just hang around here for as long as needed. Let me just speak a blessing over you. If you would stand to your feet and let me just speak a blessing over you as, as we leave here. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. God bless you. Have a great, great week.